This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Shawnee Carruthers, and today I'm joined by Dr. Dennis Johnston, Senior Director and Chief Research Officer at Abbott. Dennis, how are you this morning? I'm terrific. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. I was saying before the show started that I'm such an avid fan. Um, just coming from my previous background, I was able to interact with this. So I truly understand the power of it. So I'm excited for our listeners to be able to hear from your perspective why avid is so amazing for students. Um, but you all talk a lot about this idea of possibility uh, within avid. What does that mean? Well, possibility for us is really bigger than just dreaming big. And it goes beyond content knowledge, right? It's what comes before the opportunity presents itself. AVID is all about empowering educators, right? We're all about system inputs. And so what we try to do is support educators in developing what it takes for kids to engage, to recognize, to access, and then take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to them in their futures. And so for people who may not be as familiar with what AVID is. Can you give us a little background on what is AVID? Sure. So AVID is Advancement via Individual Determination. Uh, Mary Catherine Swanson developed AVID in 1980. We've been around for four decades, better than four decades. And we started off as an elective class for high school students, recognizing at a time when kids from low-income minority sort of backgrounds were coming into otherwise middle-class Caucasian schools, Mary Catherine recognized that, that not only were these students having difficulty engaging the rigorous instruction that teachers were teaching, but teachers were having difficulty engaging the students and meeting them where they were. And so what she then developed and created, what we know today as Avid, is this, she packaged research-based practices. Mary Catherine didn't invent the binder or all of the strategies, various strategies we use, but what she did was she packaged it in such a way that we can train educators, engage educators in as few as three days. And they leave excited, go back to their classrooms and they're able to apply these strategies and resources. That's, that's the beauty of AVID, is with all the complexities of, and dynamics of schools today and classrooms, that we've been able to simplify the process to where students are actually more engaged and are more active in their learning than ever before. Is it working? Amazingly well. 
amazingly <laughs> well. Our AVID students, that is our students in secondary that are enrolled in what we call the AVID elective class, those students, nine out of 10, nine, more than nine out of 10 of those students, if they're enrolled in the AVID elective for three or more years, they will be accepted to at least one four-year institution that they apply to. That is an amazing statistic. What's amazing more is our students are enrolling in some years at rates higher than the national average in four-year institutions and two-year institutions across the country. Moreover, they're persisting at higher rates and our six-year graduation rates are equal to or maybe a few percentage points below the national average. But the demographics of our kids were predominantly minority low-income students without a history of college going. And that's what's so beautiful about AVID is that AVID breaks down barriers to access what we used to call and sometimes refer to today as the hidden curriculum. That is what we need to teach all students to be able to engage, navigate the college and career pathways that really sort of realize their aspirations. It's not what we want, Shani, right? We've already gone to college. We're doing the dream job for us and hopefully most adults are. Right. We now have a responsibility to empower and to skill up, if you will, our students, our kids, so that they, too, can realize a life of possibility, just like you and I have realized. Why do you think students are like really choosing this? Because you mentioned the binder. So it's not like it's just like a class that you come in, you kind of do a little bit of stuff and then you, you pass it. There, there really is a process and a management process that students have to utilize and really like govern themselves why are students choosing AVID? Well, let me back up just a little bit. So AVID at the secondary levels is an elective experience for, for, for students. They enroll in an AVID elective class. That class meets like any other class, right? It's a 50-minute period in most cases, uh, in, in most schools for kids, five days a week. But we also have AVID at the elementary grades. And in elementary schools, as you know, classrooms are self-contained. And so it's not as if a student goes to English class and then math class. Teachers are trained how to embed AVID inquiry-based instructional strategies in their daily instruction. And so all students in each of the classrooms at an elementary campus in the grades that have been AVID trained are experiencing what we hope all students have the opportunity to experience. And that is they're getting instruction, they're getting guidance, and they're getting support to exercise the skills that they need to be dynamic, agentive individuals in their own development. That's how they come to own their learning. That's how they come to get excited about what they need to know, right? As opposed to being told what they have to know. Do you have any great stories to share about any of the success stories or um, the agency that students have been able to have as a result of AVID? You know, there, there are so many, um, but I can tell you one that I often tell um, because it, it's, it's like it happened yesterday. Uh, probably a decade ago, we were first exploring, well, we were first exploring how to systematize or how to systematically take AVID school-wide. And so I was visiting uh, at the time a school in Texas, and this was a school, it was what we call a national demonstration school. They had done at a very high level of fidelity, implemented AVID elective classrooms. And they started to utilize and train teachers on how to apply AVID in content classes. So in every English class, in every math class, students were expected to mark the text when they're reading. They're expected to take Cornell, what we used to call Cornell notes, and now we call focus note-taking, right? 
And so as we were going through passing period, whenever I visit schools, I love to go through passing period because you get a sense of the culture and how kids appreciate each other, right? And how they engage with adults, et cetera. And as we were walking through passing period, it was at a, a high school campus. And this young man comes up to me and he looks at me, he says, he reads my name to him, he says, Dr. Johnston. He says, you're from Abbott. And I said, I am. I said, what's your name? And he told me his name. And I said, it's a real pleasure to meet you. He shook my hand, looked me straight in the eyes. And I asked him, I said, some young man, are, are you uh, enrolled in the Abbott elective? Are you an, an Abbott student? And he looked up at me with this curious look and he said, we're all Abbott students here, right? And, and, and it was at that moment, and as it turned out, he was not enrolled in the Abbott elective. But the confidence that he had to stop, to address me, to look me in the eye, to shake my hand, and then to sort of say, we're all Abbott students here, right? That was such a proud moment for me, even though I had nothing to do with it, right? Um, it was a proud moment for me, and I was so proud of that staff, as I am of all educators, because they are making a difference in these kids, right? Whether or not they're enrolled in the elective, they're having an impact. We have to honor that. We have to recognize that and appreciate teachers for that. And when we do that, teachers get empowered. They get so energized. It's, it's a remarkable transformation that we see. And so was that the impetus of the, the framework of the college and career readiness framework, that, that notion that the instructional practices just don't live within this elective, but we wanted to go throughout the school? Um, can, t- tell me about that. Tell me about the framework and how it helps to kind of spread your message. Yeah. So for years, you know, I've been with Avid now 18 years, and uh, it's been an absolute blessing in helping me better understand uh, the context, the purpose, and the why behind public schooling, right? Uh, It also has illuminated for me the incredible responsibility that we have as educators in doing what needs to be done as opposed to what we want to do, right? The framework is an articulation of Abbott's theory of action. Mary Catherine wrote about school-wide or implementing Abbott strategy school-wide back in the late 80s and early 90s, right? But we hadn't, up until three or four years ago, really illustrated, graphically depicted what it means to implement Abbott in a way to transform and impact all kids. And so the Abbott's, Abbott's College and Career Readiness Framework really starts at the base, the foundation, with what we call the four domains of every school. One of the things I had heard over the years is uh, superintendents or principals saying to me, you know, Dennis, Abbott sounds great, but we don't have those kinds of kids, right? We're good with what we have. And so in in an attempt to embrace and invite every school in the world, frankly, to engage our framework, it starts with the four domains, instruction, systems, culture, and leadership. Every school in the country has it, right? And so now there isn't a way for folks to say, well, we don't have that. Well, yeah, you have instruction, you have a culture, you have leadership, and you have systems, right, to guide kids. On top of that sits what we believe are the necessary actions, attributes, and skills that students, educators need to demonstrate and activate in order to produce college and career-ready kids. And so there are four teacher actions, right? Educators that go beyond teachers, all educators, must insist on rigor. They need to break down barriers to access necessary learning experiences for kids, right? They have to align their work so that kids spend less time figuring out how to do school and more time learning while at school, right? And then we need to have all educators believe in and advocate for students, 
So those are necessary teacher or adult behaviors, if you will, that need to happen. In addition, up on top of our framework, you'll see in the big triangle, there's a smaller triangle. And atop that, that uh, big triangle sits three attributes, skills, and experiences that we believe all students need to have in order to graduate college and career ready. And they're all inputs, Shani. Oftentimes people look at the, that top triangle and they think, okay, those are the outputs from having. Well, they can be conceptualized that way, but the intent with the framework is to articulate system inputs. We adults have some level of control on each one of those components, right? We can't blame ethnicity. We can't blame you know, socioeconomic status. We can't blame home environments. No, stop that. Look in the mirror. We have to create learning environments for kids that go and transcend all of that, right? And so the three components that we believe students need to have, they need to have opportunity knowledge. We need to expand their understanding of what's possible in their lives. Most of our kids, their life, their, their landscape of opportunity is one block ahead of them, one block to the left, one block to the right, and one block behind them. So we need to instill opportunities. We need to broaden their landscape of what's possible. Secondly, we have to build student agency. This is critical. Students have to believe in themselves, their beliefs before their behaviors. They're not going to take intentional actions in growing themselves and owning their learning until they believe that, number one, they're capable. And if they do it, they're going to get the results that they hope to get. Beliefs before behaviors. And then we exercise and instill opportunity knowledge and exercise agency by giving and affording rigorous instruction. And that, too, is critical. And we adults control that. When that classroom door closes, we can afford kids an engaging, lively discussion, or we can stand up in front of the class and we can do direct instruction. Right? We have that choice. We choose the former as opposed to the latter. So that's what our framework is. It articulates it's not that AVID is the answer, but AVID is a pathway. Yeah, I, I kind of want to make this framework come alive. Um, so I want to really understand if this framework is happening in real life, what does that look like? What does that sound like? What are you hearing the teacher say? What are you seeing the students do? Like, make it come alive for me. Sure. So, and I'm glad you brought this up because these are the two components that I'm about to, to, to share with you. These are the two components that make it come alive. None of what I just described can happen. None of it can happen without first establishing relational capacity. And when you look on our framework, you'll see when the listeners get a hold of it and take a peek at it, they'll see that throughout the entire triangle framework there, you'll see yellow outlining of relational capacity. What does that mean? Relational capacity is where we have the courage, the willingness and the vulnerability to extend ourselves through trust and authenticity to build relationships that allow us to feel confident in what we do, feel confident in saying we don't know, and feel confident in asking someone for help. When we do that with our colleagues and when we do that with students, amazing things happen. That's how you build that framework. That's how you grow and, and activate the framework. That's why people that don't know AVID, when they walk by an AVID elective classroom, they hear a lot of stuff. They're like, man, that teacher needs to work on his or her classroom management. But if you were to walk in that classroom and listen carefully, you're going to hear academic language. You're going to hear inquiry. You're going to hear students' excitement and enthusiasm. 
because that's what we build. We build what's called a culture of vulnerability in classrooms and in schools. What does that mean? A culture of vulnerability is a culture where we feel okay. I'm not gonna say we feel great, but we feel okay in taking the risk to say, I don't know. Because it is only then when we have the opportunity, the most powerful opportunity to grow, right? It's only when we do something and we don't get the outcome that we usually get that we try something different, right? Vygotsky calls that what the zone of proximal development, right? It's that teetering where a student is on the, on the fence and they're teetering on what they know, what they think they know and what they don't. That's where we need to target students. And when we get students to recognize and appreciate that not knowing is really the opportunity. That's, that's the gift. We want you to find yourself and recognize what you don't know because that's when you're gonna grow. And that takes work. It's not easy to do. Teachers have to give up power. Teachers have to give up authority. Students have to take on responsibility. Students have to take risks, but we only are able to do that if we establish relational capacity. I shared with you before the, before we, uh, before the show here, that you know, one of the most innocuous but powerful ways that teachers can start to establish relational capacity is stand outside their classroom door every morning when their kids come in. When passing period happens and they see a student, it's second period, but they see their student from fifth period and they say, hey, Shawnee, how you doing? You know, how's your team doing, right? For many kids, that's going to be their only invitation or perhaps feeling that, wow, that adult cares about me. They know who I am. They know what I'm about, what I do, right? Something so simple like that. That's going to connect kids to school. That's going to start to establish trust between the two of you. That's when kids take academic risks. It's only when that trust and that authentic relationship is forged and built, appreciated and respected, it's only then that kids will take academic risks. Partly why we don't... Go ahead. No, so would you agree that then the first step in creating a sense of belonging for students is establishing a culture of trust? Yes, absolutely, 100%. And it starts with the staff, right? It starts with the staff. And leaders have that responsibility to model that, to hold each other accountable, including him or herself, right? To building that. You know when you're getting really close, when teachers welcome their colleagues to come into their classrooms to observe instruction. When your colleagues are asking you, giving you permission to come into their classrooms to get feedback from one another, right? Those are telltale signs that a culture of vulnerability is starting to emerge or has emerged. Which brings us to the second component that I didn't refer to uh, initially in my description of the framework, and that's collective educator agency. Collective educator agency is the accelerant that defines AVID. AVID is an accelerant. What AVID is, is AVID provides the skills, the strategies. It makes completely transparent what it is students that have aspirations for a particular career pathway or a college going track, that they're full transparency. This is what you need to do. These are the courses that are required for college entrance. These are the skills you're gonna need to have. You're gonna need to know how to collaborate. You're gonna need to know how to take notes. You're gonna need strategies for marking the text so that you're reading to learn, right? And so that's what AVID is. AVID skills students up to be academically competent, right, and academically agentive. When you get a staff, a collection of a community, if you will, 
a collective that are all working together toward the same goal, that's what accelerates school-wide learning, right? That's what accelerates. We're not going to get every kid to college and career readiness by the time they graduate. We know that, sadly, you know, it's something we have to accept. But what we can do is we can promote every student toward college and career readiness. I've always believed that having had any level of avid exposure is better than not having had any level at all. And so anything that we can do to help to develop a, a student's confidence and belief in him or herself, we should do absolutely. And I want to just lean in for a second on the career part, because, you, you know, you're talking about college and career and, you know, obviously AVID is great for all components, both sides of it, whether you choose to go straight to a college or, or choose to maybe go straight to work or an apprenticeship or whatnot. But the goal of AVID, I'm assuming then, is not just that, that the college and career component, but just to make students lifelong learners. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's absolutely right, Shani. I couldn't have said it better. And I appreciate that you've understood AVID in that way, because that's exactly what it's about. AVID is about empowering students, young people, adults, human beings. It's about developing a human being that believes that the actions that they're going to take will lead them and progress them toward their aspiration. And so it's having the confidence. First, it starts with having the wherewithal of knowing what it is I'm passionate about, what it is I'm interested in, right? And that's where opportunity knowledge comes in. If students' landscape of opportunity is simply the block ahead, behind, and each side, right, it's very limited and constrained. But when we invite guest speakers in, for example, in classrooms, when we put college banners up in our classrooms, right, or military posters, right, any opportunity that transcends that current landscape for students helps to develop possibility, right? That's when students find their way. When I went to community college, you know, I went in, I'm a first generation college goer. I'm uh, one of five boys in my family and I was the first to go to college. And I, I went in as a business major, I was good in math, right? Uh, but I didn't know how to do school at all. I got through school on personality and charisma. I was a very compliant student. I did what I was told, so I got good grades. I went on to college and I failed miserably. Right. I did not do well at all because I did not in an unstructured academic environment. I didn't know how to take notes. Right. I didn't know how to even get a class, frankly. Right. And so I took what could have been characterized as an avid for higher education back in 1984. I'm dating myself. Right. To learn how to do school. But once I did, it was what I got out of there in 90. I had my bachelor's degree in 90 and 97. I had a doctorate. I mean, because I was able to figure out and sort out. So I started in a business. I was like, business, what is this? As I started taking classes and my opportunity knowledge broadened, I found myself in psychology. And then I found myself in research. Next thing I know, I'm a clinical psychology, you know, master's in clinical psychology and a doctorate in ed psych with a passion and a love. I know, hold your head. <laughs> for statistics <laughs> and methodology and research. Most people cringe, right? But I never would have known that. Who would have thought, right? That my passion is in developing instruments and scales and things like that. But because I was afforded a broader landscape to explore and was given the tools to recognize how to access, how to ask questions, to feel confident knowing that I don't know, right? I'm, I, Every day I'm looking for opportunities for me to say, I don't know, because I want to know. 
right? And that's what Avid does. That's what Avid is. It's about lifelong learning. It's about being curious, knowing all the while that not knowing is, is that's the big piece. That's what you want, right? Yeah. So besides just the not knowing and the curiosity, which I can tell is like really like at your core, what excites you? Um, what is Avid working on today that excites you or that excites the students? Well, um, everything we do at Avid excites me. <laughs> I'll just say, but, but me personally, I have a particular role uh, at Avid, and that is um, working and, and leading our research efforts and, and exploring how we can and, and understanding more deeply how schools uh, can, can help kids and educators really help educators help kids meet their potential. And uh, as I mentioned earlier and have been speaking about quite a bit is this notion of student agency. And because AVID and the AVID elective class primarily, but AVID in the elementary grades and throughout really is about relational capacity. That is the foundation of all that we do. And so I believe, as does the center, that building student agency, the belief and the efficacy in oneself that I too can be successful is critical. And so my team and members of uh, AVID Center staff and others have developed a student agency measure, student agency survey, uh, to measure that component and a collective educator agency survey, which measures the accelerant I mentioned and referred to before, the accelerating power and potential of AVID when implemented school-wide. Those two pieces are very, very exciting for me. We just, um, we piloted the student agency uh, instrument back in uh, March and April of 2022. We uh, expanded that pilot uh, to touch roughly 40,000 students in September, right, in October. And uh, we just processed all those results. And I am just so excited and pleased to tell you that the, the initial findings from, from that survey indicate that students uh, enrolled in the AVID elective at the secondary level um, uh, produce and report significantly higher levels of student agency than students outside the elective, right? That agency in uh, AVID implementing schools from elementary all the way up to graduating seniors, AVID students and AVID exposed students show significantly higher levels of student agency than students not exposed to AVID. We also see consistent with the literature with our instrument that a, the typical decline in student efficacy, that is the belief in themselves and their agency tends to decline during the transitional years of six, seven and eight, right? Rigor is getting higher in those middle transitional years for kids. They're starting to wonder, am I really able to do this? right? That's true across the board. That's human development. And so too, our agency uh, scale was able to pick up on that nuance. What was really exciting to see is that avid kids starting in grade nine start to accelerate their agency, particularly in grades 11 and 12. Uh, and that's, that's just, that's so exciting for us because it's the first time we at avid now have documented and researched the development of agency, the impact of what our educators are doing, not just in elective classes, but also across the school. Uh, we wrote a, a, a brief and, and submitted a proposal, Jeff Huerta and myself, uh, to AERA. We'll be presenting that in Chicago. So any listeners that are going to be at, at AERA in Chicago uh, in a couple of months, please come join us and come say hi. We'd love to, love to see you. Um, and the other piece is our Collective Educator Agency survey. One of the real uh, sort of powerful attributes of an AVID implementation is what we refer to as the site team. A site team is something Mary Catherine came up with, recognizing that it wasn't enough for these kids to have 50 minutes a day with her 
in the Abbott elective class, that these students needed to exercise their note-taking skills, their questioning skills, uh, their challenging of content, their collaboration skills in every class throughout the day. And so she created what we know as a site team. And the site team is made up of the Avid elective teacher, a site coordinator, that is someone who coordinates the program on the campus, and then each of the core content areas. So English, math, social science, and science. An administrator is also a part of that team. That site team is a microcosm of the faculty as a whole. That site team, they're all trained in Avid's philosophy, what the end game is, what the goal is, and, and use common strategies for kids. So students, when they're going from their elective to math, to English, to science, when they go in, they understand the expectation of the classroom, right? In terms of, I'm expected to take notes. I'm expected to raise my hand and ask questions. I'm expected to sit toward the front of the room so I can be engaged in the, in the, in the learning, right? And so students, again, are spending less time figuring out how to do school in each class, right? Some teachers do two column notes, some do focus notes, some do this. So I'm saying, which class? Shawnee's class, I do two column notes. Dennis's class, I do three column notes, right? If we align the work, as I mentioned in the framework, if we align the work and that microcosm of the faculty and the site team is a collective, right? Students are accelerating their learning, right? They're spending more time learning the content, and that's what we see in all of our findings. So the Collective Educator Agency uh, survey we've administered also concurrently with the Student Agency survey, and we're finding similar results. Uh, our schools that have um, a higher, what we call a certif certification levels, tend to show higher levels of collective educator agency, right? In instances where that's not the case, oftentimes as we inquire uh, deeper, we find that it's staff turnover, it's new people on campus, yeah. they're having to get trained. So it's things like that, but it's really, really exciting. Those are the two pieces that really, really excite me about the, the work personally. Yeah, no, I, I love those results. And what I really loved most was like, you were all like, okay, we're going to create this awesome framework and then we're going to pull it all apart and we're going to start assessing the components of it. And we're going to do, you know, the agency component for students and teachers. And, you know, so you're really living into the work and, you know, making it, you know, little, you know, tweaks and pivots along the way. So I really love that. And, you know, just kind of throughout our conversation, you've talked a lot around like opportunity and knowledge and things of that nature and, you know, how students need to know, you know, more than the block ahead of them and behind them, etc. So how do we, how do we open up just the world for our students um, to let them know that you're, you know, it is bigger than the square that's around them? Right. And so, you know, there's simple strategies really that we can do to begin that opening up of the world. Eventually, students will take the initiative. I mean, they've got access to information that way beyond what you and I had access to, right, with the internet, et cetera. But by having folks come in and introduce them to things like, I'm a statistician, I'm a researcher. I get to travel around the world and meet with kids and parents to better understand what you all are experiencing. One, two, 10, maybe none, but maybe 10 of those students are gonna go, I wanna be what he is. I wanna do what he's doing. They had no, you know, it wasn't even, they were clueless about what Dennis was doing and what could be done, right? So simple things like having guest speakers come in, right? As I mentioned before, simple things like having banners, posters, opportunities, college fairs, career fairs, right? But when we use those opportunities strategically, we connect them to students, we share with students, you know, we're now talking about opportunity knowledge. We're now talking about, you know, having you think differently and beyond 
what you imagine possible for you, right? You know that there are doctors, you've gone to a doctor, but have you ever imagined yourself being a doctor, right? So that, those are ways that we can open up the world. That is such a critical component of schooling. But, but the challenge is, Shani, once that happens, now then teachers really, this is the art of teaching, teachers then have the responsibility to incorporate those, that excitement and that interest into what they're learning. More often than not, students will carry that heavy load. If given the opportunity, teachers need to facilitate it, but students will run with it. But it's the giving up of that, and it's hard to do. It's very difficult to do, right? We can talk about you know, elegant models of schooling, but we need to get into the dirt. I appreciate you, you, you commenting and recognizing that we at Avid, we are not just talking about the framework, but we need to take on the responsibility of demonstrating how to take action with the framework. We're going to talk about agency. We darn well better be an agentive organization, right? <laughs> exactly. We need to yeah. not talk, about, talk about our beliefs. We can talk all day, but let's be actionable. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, no, well, I really appreciate this conversation. And just a reminder that school is messy and chaotic and beautiful and great. And like just a place that, you know, is really a workshop for students and teachers to continue to lean into their love of lifelong learning. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us today to share more about AVID. Um, and, you know, we look forward to continuing to follow the great things that AVID is doing for students and teachers. Well, thank you so much, Shani. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, and, a, and a, a quick thank you to our podcast producer, Mason. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.